This is Corolla Digital. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really likes Daylight Savings Time. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And they do get better every week, that music. I say it almost every week. No, I say it every week, but it's true. I'm in a good mood. It's a beautiful day here in Southern California, but you know... After working on with the colonel on on putting the show together and finding things we like, you know something? When I hear that music, it just makes me happy. And I can see the colonel and the doctor through the window of the studio here, and that makes me unhappy. But that really balances me out then to do the show. Now, of course, I love them and they love me. And that, of course is the Rocco Arcieri Orchestra and the Candy Cat Wheat Dancers, featuring boy tenor Randy Bushcutter, who comes up with, who found another musical question that he wants to answer. And here it is. If good things come to those that wait, where's the line? Well, Randy... The colonel and I thought that was a that was a fair question and a good question to ask. We've all heard the well that little bit bit of philosophy, that little bit of advice. Ah, all good things come to those that wait. And it's interesting to ask. Well, if all good things come to those that wait, where's the line? In other words, implying that he wants to get on the line and start getting all good things, and he's not afraid to wait. But it brought to my mind a question, even as a kid, I wanted to ask, and Colonel Jeff agreed that, well, if all good things come to those that wait, who was the first one? Who asked that? Who came up with that? Whose advice is that? It doesn't sound like something from the Bible. It doesn't sound like something from God. It's, well, it's kind of a, it's kind of a blunt, annoying piece of advice, if you think about it. It's something you might ask a cruel boss. Or if you heard that advice, you know, it usually comes after you just asked for a raise. And what you hear back is, well, now, Jenkins, remember, all good things come to those that wait. <laughs> and if you heard that in a similar situation, you'd have to say, oh, yeah, it comes to those that wait. How long? How long would I have to wait? How long are you going to make me wait for that raise? How long before you give us each 40 minutes for lunch instead of 30 minutes? And Whatever it is, it seems like, gosh, all good things come to those that wait? Where's the line? Well, I don't know why all good things come to those that wait. I'm not even certain that they do. I mean, I think it's fair to, to say that, hey, don't worry about it now. All good things come to those that wait. And in another 10 years, another 50 years, another 500 years, 
you'll have, well, once you cross over to the other side of life, you'll have all good things, and you'll have waited for them. So you will prove that all good things come to those that wait. But then it's fair to ask that person in response, oh, yeah, how about you? Doesn't look like you waited. You seem to have a pretty good lunch right there. And so Randy, Randy Bushcutter, if who's asking the musical question, if all good things come to those that wait, where's the line? I think the best answer to that is, Randy, who cares? I don't care where the line is. I would like, with your help and with the help of my friends here, the colonel and the doctor, to put on the best show we can and to get as many movie and TV parts as I can and do stand-up shows. That's what I do. That's what I love to do. And in your lives, the same way, I'd like you to get all good things in life and me to get all good things in life, but I don't think we have to wait. I would like to suggest to the powers that be, you know what? How about now? How about a little extra lunchtime now? In any case, though, Randy, good question. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Amazon, still one of the favorite sponsors here on the show. I love Amazon because they have come up with a great business system. Now, if you know Amazon, you know this. If you don't, what you do is you go, oh, to your iPad, to your laptop, to any device you have, and you go right to Amazon and order anything in the world you want, right? Wrong! Wrong! Never do that! What you do is you come to us first. You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon on our podcast. And you click that. And then you sit down, take your topsiders off, pour yourself a glass of cold milk, lean back in your big lazy boy chair, and you know what? Don't worry about another thing because we will do all the work to get you to Amazon. It comes right through to the studio here, and we take you to Amazon. And then, once you're there, ho ho, then it's all good. You order everything in the world you want, and you're happy. Amazon sends you everything you ordered, and they're happy. And we're happy here because Amazon sends us a percentage of everything you wanted. So you're happy, they're happy, and we're happy. And remember, just hit that banner that says Amazon on our website at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And by... PayPal. That's right. Still the company that's most fun to say because you get those two big P's in it. PayPal. And I like saying it that way. PayPal. And what you do is, you know what? If you want, it's sort of like, well, it's sort of like sending money into NPR or something like that. But for us, what you can do is, well, I like saying go to your favorite local bar and ask how much a drink is there. And when they tell you, send three times that amount to us. One drink for Colonel Jeff, one drink for Dr. Chris, and one drink for me. And then, you know what? 
well, then we'll be happy. And this is my advice to you. As long as you're in a bar and you've just asked about their drinks and you know how much their drinks cost, and as long as you're talking to the bartender, you might as well just order a drink. As long as you've done all that, say to the bartender, you know what, as long as I'm here, raise your index finger up and say, I'll, I believe I'll have a blank, whatever you like. And then once again, well, everybody's happy. Well, that's pretty good. You know what? Everybody can everybody can be happy. And here's a good time. Well, I, I love daylight savings time. I'm happy during daylight savings time. And I wanted to tell you about that because I know a lot of people just hate daylight savings time. They think, oh, well, that's just stupid. Why do we have to make everything different? And why is it a big part of our lives? And why does it happen then twice a year? And, well, I think you're wrong. Uh, I think you're very wrong on that. I think daylight savings time is fantastic, and for a, a main reason to me is that I just can't think of any other thing in life that happens where, if if you think about it, we all just get together and change the time. I think that's pretty amazing, that we can just change the time, that there's something we can do just by voting it in. And once it's in, it's in, and we change the time. And, well, and that's why when you get to daylight savings time, if someone stands up and, well, you're all about to go to dinner and he checks his watch and says, well, let's see, it's uh, it's 5 o'clock, time to go to dinner, you can all say with a small smile, no, Jim, no, it's not 5 o'clock. We all say it's 6. And you have control of one of the most mysterious things, time. I love also that in order to know which way to turn the clock, I love that everyone has to think about it. Everyone has to think, oh, let's say in in uh, let's say in, in, in March, that means you go, what do you do? Go ahead, you go back, what do you do? Oh wait, in, in October or November, what do you do? You go you go back, you go ahead. And I love that no matter who the individual in America is, could be the toughest guy, the head of a big gang, or could be the sweetest, kindest guy, the head of a big group of, well, teachers or something. It's funny that we always go to teachers to think, well, they're fantastic. We all do that. Wouldn't teachers be great? And in any case, I'm, I'm sure they are. But no matter who you are, no matter what you do for a living, no matter how kind you are or how mean you are, Every single person come daylight savings time has to stop and think and say, okay, let's see, you, 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 you spring ahead and then you fall back. That's it. You spring ahead and then you fall back. So now in spring, coming up to spring, we spring ahead and we turn the clocks ahead. I love that every single person has to have the same grin and goofy look on his face when he decides that. Then, of course, the mean people kill you. They go right back to what what they were going to do anyway. In any case, I love Daylight Savings Time for that reason. I have told you this before a couple of years ago, I think, but the first wedding I went to f with a friend from school getting married, and we had all of our old friends, about 15, 20 guys, coming up to go to this wedding, and it was in Massachusetts, and... 
you know what? It's the right thing to do, and he was a great fellow and, 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 well, has a great family now. And the point is, my mom, we, well, we were staying in mm, a motel, hotel, motel. It was fine, but those were still the days when you stay up late enough, wink, 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 stay up late enough with beer. We had coolers of beer in every room, and you stay up late enough, and my Mom and Dad called the next morning because the next day, this was on a Saturday night, the wedding, and the next day, Sunday, was the day that everyone, including me, was going to go back home, take trains and planes and cars, and make sure, and they had already, we all had our tickets, and my mom and dad called me in the room, lucky I was in the room, by the way, but they called me in the room to say, Hey, remember, tonight and tomorrow's daylight savings time. So it all changes. Remember, it all this time you go back or whatever it was. And yeah, it was going back, I think. And uh, so tell your friends, too, if you're all going to meet for breakfast. And uh, we were. And I said, you know what? Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I love you. And I'll see you at home. I was staying with them in uh, in their home, which was our home, and that was on Long Island in New York. And I said, thanks for the info about Daylight Savings Time. And I told all my friends at breakfast, and they said, wow, that's pretty neat of your parents. Thanks, yeah, because they were all, well, tired, too, and they wanted to get home, and they had all their tickets, remember, for planes and trains and buses. And now they knew, though, that they had to change their schedule, and we all did that, and we all departed earlier. And as I departed, I had the radio on in the car. It was a rental car, and I had the radio on, and I realized as I was listening to the disc jockey, I realized it was, in fact, not daylight savings time. That was next week, and he was saying that, you know, a lot of people— think daylight savings time is the wrong week. They think it's the wrong time, but it's not. Last night and today is not daylight savings time. It's regular time. Daylight savings time is next week. And part of me had that reaction of, well, how do you like that? I guess, hmm, wasn't daylight savings time at all. And, well, my parents and I will have a good smile at it when we hug because that was a very loving thing they did to call up and say, Remember and tell your friends. And that's when I stopped and looking out the windshield as I'm driving and thought, oh, what about my friends? Well, you know what? They knew it about that time, too, because they were in airports and train stations and bus stations. And they knew it had not been daylight savings time. And we were good enough friends so that I don't think it ever came up again. Or if it did, I brought it up of, hey, how about that daylight savings time there, that trip back home? But, boy, I'll tell you, they were uh, they were all a little miffed, and I just thought it was a little bit funny. That was before I was a comic and before I was in show business, but I guess it was a good lesson about what's funny in life and how to change mistakes you've already made. And the answer, by the way, to that is what's funny in life? Potentially everything. The mistakes you've made, they're still mistakes, and that's that. Which brings us... To my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. The weekly joke, a.k.a. 
the joke of the week. Here we go. A man walks into a bar and has a couple of beers. Once he's done, the bartender tells him he owes $9. But I paid you, don't you remember, says the customer. Oh, okay, says the bartender. If you said you paid, you did. The man then goes outside and tells the first person he sees that the bartender can't keep track of whether his customers have paid or not. The second man then rushes in, orders a beer, and pulls the same stunt. And the the bartender replies, well, if you say you paid, I'll take your word for it. That second customer goes into the street, sees an old friend, and tells him how to get free drinks. Well... That third guy hurries into the bar and begins to drink highballs when suddenly the bartender leans over and says, You know, a funny thing happened in here tonight. Two men were drinking beer, neither paid, and both claimed that they did. The next guy who tries that is going to get punched right in the nose. Don't bother me with all your phony troubles, the patron says. Just give me my change and I'll be on my way. Well, that made us smile here, and I hope it did to you, too, and I hope you have fun telling it to your friends. I said to the colonel, I said, you know, it almost it almost demands, begs, if that's the right word, it almost demands a res- another response from the bartender. After the guy says, just, hey, just pay me, give me my change, and I'll be on my way, you almost want the bartender to say, and if you see your two pounds there, tell them to hurry back and pay me, because then I'll be able to give them the antidote for the poison I put in their beers. Or something like that. In any case, though, that's a pretty good joke, and I hope you liked it, too, for our joke of the week. Which brings us, of course, to the classiest part of the show, the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Poetry Corner. Am I the Poetry Corner? The Corner that gives me a chance to remind you and you a chance to remind me that poetry is a wonderful way to look at life. It's a great blessing that the most creative people, the best artists, the poets of the world take the time to make part of their lives, showing you how wonderful it is to look at the world through poetry. And here's one. And you know what? I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to tell you the author after I read the poem this time. I don't know why it popped into my head a little bit ago when we found this poem and when I read it. And that's what I'm going to do. It's called When I Have Fears. When I have fears that I may cease to be before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain before high-piled books in correctory hold like rich garners the full ripened grain. When I behold upon the night's starred face huge cloudy symbols of a high romance and think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance and when I feel fair creature of an hour that I shall never look upon thee more never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love then on the shore 
of the wide world I stand alone and think till love and fame to nothingness do sink. Well, the colonel and I thought that was a lovely poem and another way that a, a great poet thinks of a certain moment or a certain idea in life. And that was written by John Keats, who was another very short-lived artist, short-lived poet, short-lived writer. He was born, he's English, he's born in 1795, and he died in 1821, which means he was only 26 years old when he passed on. But boy, he could sure write. By the way, he's another one of those fellows who was it said in the biography on the on the internet there for John Keats. Well, he wasn't looked upon very well when he was alive. The critics didn't like him, and the other poets didn't like him, didn't like his poetry, and it wasn't very successful. It wasn't successful at all, and he couldn't make any money at it. And you think, holy mackerel. Then it says, but after he was dead, oh, everybody loved him. And that's, okay, all right, another one of those. Do we have to do it that way? And the answer in this case is, yeah, in the case of, in the case of John Keats, this great artist was never given his just due until after he was already, well, he was already up where all good things come to those that wait. And he was looking down saying, now? Really? Fine. Okay. No, I've, I've, I've got wings and I'm just sailing along. But I'm, all I'm saying is a little down there might have been nice too. In any case, that takes us to, again, one of my favorite parts of the show and uh, something I looked forward to doing so much, the magic movie moment. That's right, the magic movie moment. And it's, it's, it's a part of movies that we love already. It's the part of movies that you've seen 20 times, and it's the part of movies that you just look forward to, whether it's a scene, whether it's a way one of the actors was acting, whether it's, whether it's one of the themes that the author wrote or the actor makes sense of or the director shows how to do. It's really something to have a magic movie moment to look forward to and say, oh, it's coming up. I love seeing this movie again but I'm glad to see this magic movie moment again. Well, this one came for me in a movie I just saw yesterday that I had never seen before, but it's a good magic movie moment, and it made me smile and feel that way and feel it was just right for the show. The movie is called The Little Princess, and it's a Shirley Temple movie from 1939. What a great cast also in it. Arthur Treacher, Beryl Mercer, Cesar Romero. So many folks in this. And by the way, if you're thinking of rolling your eyes a little when someone says Shirley Temple, I have to tell you as a friend, as your friend, I have to tell you, stop doing that right now. You know what? God bless her. She was so good. Now, I'd never seen this movie before, but she makes you smile. She doesn't overdo anything. She makes you cry. She makes you feel touched. And she makes whatever story she's in so real 
And it made all the other actors and all the other directors and all the other producers just love her for it. She created work that was just loved by, well, the whole world, but especially all over America. There was that period from roughly 1933 through, actually through World War II, where she was the top star in the world, not just child star. And boy, people loved seeing her. And folks, I'm telling you, this movie, The Little Princess, and it also had Arthur Treacher in it, who was the co-host of the Merv Griffin Show when it started in the late 60s. And I remember seeing that with my parents and thinking, boy, there's Arthur Treacher. And the way he was always treated, which is correct, he was treated with such respect and class I remember him saying as the announcer, and now here's the dear boy himself, Mervyn. And I never knew anything about this man, but he was in this movie. He was in many movies. He was all over the world in theaters in vaudeville. He was a singer and a dancer. And, folks, he was terrific in this movie. And I'm telling you that this sto- this story is something that makes you happy against your own will. It makes you sad against your own will. She, It's in England in 1899. The Boer War has started, and her father and she, her mom is dead, and her father and she lived in England their whole, rather in India their whole lives. She was born in India, and they just got back home to England, and... Well, after just one day, her father was told he's being sent to southern Africa there to fight in the Boer War. He's a captain, and they have goodbye poems they read to each other. They have hugs and kisses, and I'm here to tell you it was great. There was no eye-rolling. There's no, oh, come on, let's get through this. Folks... It was terrific, and he signs her up for uh, an upper-crust girls' school for her to wait for him. And, well, you're not crazy about the mistress of the girls' school, but that doesn't quite matter at the time. Everything is handled so well, and Arthur Treacher plays the number two employee in the girls' school, and she and he get along great, and she gets along great with the horse-riding teacher, and with everyone at the school. The other students make fun of her. The other students don't like her in the girls' school. In fact, they're the ones who start calling her the little princess. And they don't mean it well, but I took it well. And you and I will take it well. And I'm telling you, folks, this is, well... It's not a spoiler. Maybe it's a tiny bit of a spoiler. Her father is killed in the war, in the Boer War. And at this point, it comes out to the mistress of the girls' school, Miss Minchin, that he was bankrupt anyway, and he didn't send another check-in. And she's very upset. In fact, she's livid. And she moves Shirley Temple up to an attic room with no fire and no heat, no nothing to do there. And it looks like a dungeon cell, but it's way at the top of this school, and she doesn't let her go to school there anymore. She makes her work there to do all the other jobs 
that for all the other students, and they're so cruel to her, they make fun of her and they force her to come in here and fix this fire. And no, don't go yet. Bring that blanket over to me and put it on me just right. And oh, the little princess doesn't want to do that. And that's not what Shirley Temple does, does though. She plays it so well. We love her every minute. She's funny and she's sad at just the right times. And she then begins to believe her father isn't dead at all. And she says, he's not dead. I don't think he's dead. I think I'd know something deep inside if he were. And sure enough that Arthur Treacher and people are well, uh, not really supporting her, but saying that, well, that sort of thing does happen sometimes. And Arthur Treacher signs up, in fact, for the armed forces, and he's going to go to South Africa, too. And he's going to fight, too. And sure enough, folks, Arthur Treacher is working. In the meantime, he leaves the school to work in a hospital for wounded soldiers. Right there, just a little run from the school for Shirley Temple. And sure enough, we see, before she does, we, the audience, see that, yes, it turns out her father is alive. She knew it, but she doesn't know it yet that, that it's true. But you and I do. And the father's brought back on a ship, and he's very seriously wounded. His head is all wounded in a bad way. It's bandaged up, and he can't really take care of himself. He's in a wheelchair, and all he can say over and over again is Sarah. That's his daughter's name. That's Shirley Temple's name, Sarah. That actor is Ian Hunter, by the way. He's just great. And he says, Sarah, and no one knows who he is. He doesn't have any ID on him. He doesn't have any rank on him. But you and I know who he is. And the doctors in this hospital decide, yes, he should go to Edinburgh in Scotland because then Dr. So-and-so can take care of him. But he's probably never going to recover any of his real memory and any of his real feelings. And Shirley Temple, with more and more cruelty heaped on her, by Miss Minchin and all the other girls at school there, she finally has a way. She sneaks out. She just feels. She doesn't know he's alive, but she just feels, I've got to get back there. I just have to check that hospital. And we know he's there, but she doesn't. And she goes into room, in this room, in that room. She sneaks past the police who are keeping people out of the hospital. And in just another hour... This man, her father, Captain Cruz, is going to be sent to Scotland. And, well, she'll never see him then. And she knows she just has to look. She opens the door. She walks into one room, and there are three generals standing there in those fancy 19th century uniforms. And there's an old woman in a wheelchair, and she walks in, and they start to whisk her out, say, oh, you can't come in here, can't come in here. And... The old woman says, well, wait and see what the girl wants. And she tells her story. And she says, it's my father. I just know this is the little chance I have to see if he's here one more time. And the old woman looks at her. And we look at Shirley Temple and the old woman looking at each other. And she holds her hand out and motions for the girl to come over. And Shirley Temple does. And she looks up to one of the soldiers and says, Colonel, come here. Would you please take this little girl around to every room so she can feel that she's seen every inch of the hospital? And then she says again to the colonel, and make sure no stone is unturned. Make this a good search. And we just, 
Well, we really like her. We really like Shirley Temple is so touched. Oh, thank you. And Shirley Temple holds her hand out and says, well, what's your name? And the old woman says, Victoria. And Shirley Temple's face drops a little and says, you're Queen Victoria. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you that this is a movie that makes you feel good in everything that happens. If I say to you, and it's Queen Victoria, she's in a room there with several generals, you might say, oh, well, that didn't really happen. Folks, it absolutely happened in this movie. It makes you feel great that it did. And they shake hands and smile at each other. And Queen Victoria waves as she walks out the door. And then she goes to every room with the colonel. And she doesn't find her father. And we see, you and I see, that her father in the wheelchair is put into a side room so he doesn't so he doesn't have to get weaker while he's waiting to leave and the second he gets into that side room and the door closes Shirley Temple appears around the corner so we know she just missed him and folks it gets to a point it's so sweet and the father is keeps saying Sarah Sarah Shirley Temple hears this as she hides in the room and she says Tad they have a scene Together, you must see. It's so well done, and it touches you everywhere you want to be touched. And now she knows she was right. And Arthur Treacher comes in, and says, by God, you were right. Here he is. And even with the bandaged head, he feels a thousand percent better. And they wheel him out into the hall, and he's there with Arthur Treacher in his uniform, and there are another couple of guys in their uniforms. And I'm telling you, that makes you feel great. You think, uniforms, remember, this was made in 1939, and England was already deeply in World War II. And I'm telling you, they're in the hallway with the father in the wheelchair, and then, and the soldiers, and they're so happy. And then we hear the classic English music, I guess, da 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 and it's playing, and that's fine, because we realize they're wheeling out Queen Victoria right in the same hallway, just a little ahead, down another corridor. And the way they're supposed to do it, well, everyone stands. The soldiers stand at attention and salute, because that's what you do. It's the queen. And they do that, and Shirley Temple does that. And then they help her father stand up, and he stands up so that he can do the same thing and pay and pay that respect. And they hug and they smile, and the queen waves at Shirley. And, folks, I'm telling you that because it doesn't matter what you know. When you see this movie, you will be as touched as I was. And in that scene, that's the end of the movie. And there's a hug, there's a smile, there's a kiss. But you've never been happier about how things were told and how things worked out. And I'm telling you, that is a magic movie moment. And if you've never seen this movie, as I had never seen it, if you've never seen The Little Princess, folks, I'm telling you, go see it. You won't be unhappy. You'll be thrilled. You'll be glad with the time you spent. And at that particular time, I'm telling you, my wife, who's a good cook, was making one of her fancy mommy meals, uh, a lemon chicken that she, you make from scratch that has all sorts of vegetables in it that are cut up a certain way. She made a great dinner for all of us, and that was cooking, and I could smell it. And the boys 
were getting ready because after dinner, they were going to go see Mr. Peabody and Sherman, which is just out now. And I said to them, oh, I hope that's a good movie because I always loved that cartoon when I was a kid. And they saw it. They loved it. But the point is, there is a connection between The Little Princess, made in 1939, and my sons going to see Mr. Peabody and Sherman in 2014 after a home-cooked meal. And I'm telling you, there is nothing better Queen Victoria had that night when she left that hospital. There is no better meal. There's no greater affection. There's no greater comfort that she had than I had that night. And when my wife yelled out, Dinner! And the little princess was over, and I and the dog, who's a big Shirley Temple fan, came in from the bedroom, and we all sat together in the kitchen at the counter, and we all had a good dinner together. And then the boys washed up and went to see their movie, and my wife and I cleaned up the kitchen. Well, that's not true. She didn't. I, I, I do it all the time, okay? I do it all the time. But I said, do you want any help? And she said, no, it's all right. Go ahead. Go lie down. I've got it. And uh, I think I was out of that kitchen with a puff behind me on the word lie. Oh, go, go, go lie down. But I didn't even hear the word down. And uh, And I was back in the room there. But I am here to tell you, folks, that was not only great. Seeing that was not only a magic movie moment. Tying it in with what my boys did was not only a magic movie moment with their movie. But because I'm in this business and love it so much in show business, today, when we woke up, my wife told me, you know, your son is pitching today. He's starting on the varsity in high school and he's pitching. That's our, our younger boy who's playing a junior varsity game, a travel game. Uh, but the uh, our older boy, who, and he, he's the one who's, who's joined the Marines for after high school, and he he's starting the game pitching, and I thought, you know, that I'd, I'd like to go to that game. And so Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris helped me out by being able to record this show to perform this show earlier than usual, a couple of hours earlier, so that when I finish here today and when I finish talking to you, I can do the same thing my boys did and I can wash up and I can smile and I can look in the mirror here at, well, at, at the broadcasting here at the studio and I can say, fellas, thanks, and I can go see my son pitch and it all ties back into the reality of what is a magic movie moment? Seeing your kid pitch is a magic movie moment. Knowing when daylight savings time is and whether you go forward or backward, that's a magic movie moment. It's all tied in to watching Shirley Temple, God bless her, cry and hug her father in that movie and having him react to her and having him cry. Folks, you can't beat it. And I'll never try. I hope you feel the same way. And so, well, just keep in mind the things, well, the things you already know. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always... 
If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's sure the absolute truth. I hope you enjoy that too. And come back here. We'll see you here next week.